Well, in the Old Testament, in the book of 1 Kings, there's a prophet by the name of Elijah. And Elijah has just completed the biggest event of his career. He's prayed for the end of a three-year drought, and God has graciously and miraculously brought rain where there had been none. And he's just finished an epic and national showdown with false prophets, the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, which was very public and very intense. And in the end, at that showdown, God demonstrated his power. And the the people began to recognize that, again, God was the one to be worshipped. He was the one true God. But this showdown had angered the queen, Jezebel. And so she sent a message to Elijah saying, May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow you are not dead. And Elijah is afraid. He does what I think I would do, knowing a little bit about Jezebel's story. You can read her story in 1 Kings. And he runs away. Forty days and forty nights, he runs and he runs and he runs until he gets to the desert, one of the most inhospitable places on the planet, Mount Horeb. And he begins to pout. And he begins to complain about how hard life is to God. And God comes to Elijah at Mount Horeb and just gently asks him a question. Um, Elijah, what are you doing here? And Elijah has a really good response ready for God. He says, well, God, I have been absolutely faithful to you and I have worked very hard. I mean, I know you know that, but I'm just going to remind you about it. I have been zealous for you. And all the people of Israel, they are not following you, but I'm following you, God. And now they've killed all of your prophets, and now Jezebel the queen is trying to kill me too. It's really bad, God. And God says to him, go out and stand on the mountain and wait for me. Elijah says, okay, fair enough. So he goes out. And Elijah stands there. And as he stands there, the Bible says that the Lord actually passed by. And the Lord passed by in a few different ways. In 1 Kings 19, verse 11 and 12, we read that the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible windstorm that rocks broke in pieces. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. Think about the power of an earthquake. The whole ground beneath us that seems so stable is shaking under Elijah's feet. But it says the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the wind that broke apart the rocks and the earthquake, there was a fire. And the Lord had revealed himself in fire on Mount Carmel. But it says the Lord was not in the fire. And after that, there was one more thing that the Lord did. And it was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood 
at the entrance of the cave and the Lord spoke to him gently. The thing that strikes me about that encounter is not the power that God demonstrated and exhibited, but the gentleness of that whisper. This morning, we're going to look at the topic of gentleness as we look at God's word to us. And we're going to be talking about the strength of gentleness or the attraction or the allure of gentleness that it has for people who are around us when we exhibit it. And we're going to see this morning that gentleness actually isn't often what we think of it as. And my hope and my prayer for each of you today is that you will come to understand and leave this place with a deeper commitment to embrace a life and live out authentic gentleness in the strength that God provides. Well, this morning at Jericho, we're continuing our teaching series in uh, the book of Galatians, and we're calling it The Nine. And that title comes to us from Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And in Galatians 5, 22, there's listed nine characteristics or nine things that should be increasingly present in our lives as we give ourselves more fully over to the guidance and control of God, the Holy Spirit. And the Bible uses the picture of these nine things being like fruit And so Jared Crosley, because he's much more creative than I am, came up with the idea of a tree. So that's what that shape is, just in case you're geometrically uh, challenged or artistically challenged to imagine a tree with fruit on it of that. And so these nine things are like the fruit that grows on a tree. And these nine are, are often known as the fruit of the Spirit. So uh, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, and if you know these uh, nine, then let's just say them out together, and if not, you can find them uh, listed in the Bible in Galatians 5.22, rather. So let's try it, okay? First one is love, joy, peace, patience, then it gets fuzzy, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So the first cluster of those ones, usually we're, good, we're okay at remembering those. And I wonder if maybe that has something to do with the fact that those are virtues we all really want. We all want to be more loving, hopefully, to have the deep existence, too, of love being demonstrated to us, of being known and esteemed for who you truly are. We all want joy to experience the strength and buoyancy of spirit that God provides despite our circumstances. And as Christians, we believe that regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in, that the joy that the Lord provides can give strength. So we want that. Peace, that sense of calm that comes from knowing and acknowledging that God is in full control of the world and of our lives. But once we get past those first three... Now we're into territory where things shift a little bit. And I don't know about you, but what I mean by that is when we talk about things like patience and things like self-control and things like gentleness, now we're into territory that I want other people to possess those things and I would like them certainly to treat me with those types of characteristics, but I'm not 100% sure I want those things 
because they sound like a lot of work. I want my other drivers around me or teachers or parents or coworkers to extend patience to me, but I'm not 100% sure I want to be patient with people all of the time. I mean, if we pause to think about them, they sound a little bit almost dangerous to try and pray for. Lord, give me patience, and then God will send you circumstances that then you will have to learn patience. And gentleness, I mean, gentleness is the one that, to me, it sounds like a quaint idea, a little bit idyllic. But in our culture, we tend to think of people who are gentle as pushovers. If I become all gentle, we think to ourselves, I'm going to have my rights trampled on. And I need to be able to stand up for myself. So don't, don't ask me to go all gentle on people. It's like the noted theologian Sir Charles Barkley of basketball fame always used to say, the meek may inherit the earth, but they won't get the ball. <laughs> Why do I need to be gentle? Well, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 3. And in this passage in Colossians chapter 3, the same argument or the same flow of thought is used as is used in Galatians chapter 5 where we find the fruit of the Spirit. We find almost a very, very similar list to this. And in this passage, the same thing is used to help us wrap our minds around things like gentleness. And in this text, we see the same thing that Paul does in Galatians 5, where he talks about a list of things to be rid of in our lives, and then a list of things that we would want to build into our lives. So a list of vices, bad things, immediately followed by a list of virtues, things to seek, things to pray into our lives, things to pursue in faith. And the language that is used here in Colossians is the language of clothing, that we would put off or put on things. So we're to put off certain things and then to put on or dress ourselves in certain other things. So look with me at Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. And it begins to talk about things that we are to take off. Colossians 3, verse 8. Now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have, here's this language, stripped off, you have taken off all of your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. These are things to be rid of. The list begins even earlier, put to death in verse 5, Sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy, idolatrous. Because of these things, the anger of God is coming. And you used to do these things, verse 7, when your life was still a part of this world. But now it's time to get rid of these things. See, you and I are being invited to pursue or to picture, rather, a life that is controlled by or given over to these negative things that have at one point taken root in our lives. And we're beginning to be asked a question of our lives. How much real estate do these things take up or occupy in our minds and in 
our hearts. What kind of things, what kind of uh, life would my life look like if I gave myself more fully to anger or to slandering others or to deception? Not good scenarios. These kinds of things are the antithesis or the opposite of the fruit that the Holy Spirit desires to bring into our lives. These are the things that we don't want to have controlling our lives. So we're commanded to get rid of them, to strip them off. It's as if the temperature has begun to soar into the mid-30s and now it's time to start taking off woolly parkas and gloves and toques and you, just, you don't want any of that stuff anymore. You got to get rid of it because it's just not in keeping with where the temperature is at. It's not suitable attire for summer. So get rid of it. But you can't just get rid of something negative in your life on your own strength and initiative and hope that magically something positive will take its place. It takes a few things that we're going to look at this morning because Colossians 3 continues with verse 10 and verse 12. Look with me at verse 10, which says, Put on your new nature. And be renewed as you learn to know your creator, God, and become like him. Since God chose you to be the holy people that he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. These are fitting attires for those who are part of God's family who desire to live like Jesus. So a good question maybe to ask ourselves isn't so much the WWJD question, what would Jesus do, but the question, what are you wearing? What are you clothed with? What does your life, if other people look at you, what do they see evident in your life? Are you clothed with gentleness? Well, in order to answer that question, we kind of have to back up and say, well, what is gentleness? So how would I know if gentleness was resonant in my life. Well, when the Bible speaks of gentleness, there's almost always a cluster of words that come together that are associated with gentleness that help us understand what it means. And they're words like humility, words like wisdom, words like kindness. The word gentleness in the Bible is used interchangeably with the word meekness. And here again, we have this challenge in our culture because when we think of a meek person, we usually think of someone who is timid, someone who is easily manipulated or pushed around, someone who just can't spit the words out of their mouth with any level of assertiveness to know what they're thinking or saying. Let me give you an example. If someone was running for political office, 
let's say the president of the United States, and a pundit said of them, they were a meek person. What would you think? Most people would think, well, I'm not going to vote for that person. We don't need meekness around here. They won't be able to get her done. We need someone with some stridency. When we think of leadership, we need someone who's strong. We need someone who's powerful. We need someone who's well-connected. We need someone who's charismatic. We need someone who's vision-focused. Other languages that we might use to describe leadership. No one stands up and says, it is my goal to be the most gentle president that this nation has ever known. You don't win elections by doing that. And yet Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, a radical reorientation. He says that those who are meek, those who are gentle, they are the ones that will inherit the earth. See, we've come to a place in history, in our day and time, where we see gentleness primarily as something that is connected with weakness, as opposed to what it really is, and that is quiet strength. Gentleness is quiet and resilient strength. St. Francis de Sales wrote, nothing is so strong as gentleness, and nothing in the world is so gentle as real strength. See, meekness is not weakness. Meekness or gentleness is power that is fully under control. See, all of us have likely experienced the opposite of gentleness in our lives and in our world. So many times in our world, strength or power is misused and abused. Authority can be abused, even spiritual authority. And often this incurs where there's a power imbalance or where self-control on the part of one party is not present. But listen to pastor and author Chuck Swindoll as he describes gentleness. He says this, In our rough and rugged individualism, we think of gentleness as weakness, being soft, virtually spineless. Not so. Gentleness includes such enviable qualities as having strength that is under control. Being calm and peaceful when surrounded by a heated atmosphere, emitting a soothing effect on those who may be angry or otherwise besides themselves, and possessing tact and gracious courtesy that causes others to retain instead of giving away their self-esteem and dignity. This is why instead of losing, people who are gentle actually gain. Instead of being ripped off or taken advantage of, people who are gentle come out ahead. Because gentleness is incredibly strong. The Bible reminds us that gentleness has a, an uncanny ability to dispel or to repel or to disperse 
anger. Gentleness in Galatians 6.1 has the capacity to bind up and restore those who are wounded or who are broken and who are hurting. And in the book of James, when the Bible talks about being faced with situations that you don't know what to do, which all of us are faced with in our lives, the scripture says, when you do this, you're invited to ask for wisdom and the very, very first characteristic of wisdom that comes from above is that it's gentle. Gentleness has incredible strength and power to it. So why should we be gentle? Well, one of the reasons is that God, though he's all-powerful, has chosen in his mercy to be gentle with us. God is gentle in his dealings with us. In Jeremiah 10, verse 24, God reminds us that his gentleness, even when he's correcting us, is always done from a position of gentleness, not from a position of harsh anger or vengeance. God is gentle in his dealings with us, even when he's correcting us. Jesus is gentle in the strongest possible way. When Jesus is describing himself in Matthew chapter 11, he says, I am humble, you need to follow me because I am humble and I am also gentle at heart. A gentleness of spirit characterized Jesus' interactions even when he was standing up for those who needed to be stood up for. Even when he was in incredible situations of confrontation, a gentle strength characterized Jesus' responses. So Jesus is gentle, and if we're to be people who are known as followers of Jesus, to pattern our lives after him, then that's one invitation that we can say yes to, to being like Jesus. But how would we actually do that? How would I know if I was a gentle person or if gentleness was taking root in my life? Well, let me make some suggestions for you, and these are adapted from a place called the Virtue First Foundation. One way to know a little bit about your gentleness quotient is to think about and explore how you treat members of your family. Are you patient with them? Or are you demanding? Do you respect their wants and their wishes? Or do you force your way all of the time? Are you considerate of others in your home? You see, gentleness means showing respect for others, even when you disagree with them. So would other people, looking at how you treat others in your home, would they describe that as gentle? Even when you're bringing correction into, as a parent, into the life of your child, can you do that with gentleness? How about your words in your home? Are they gentle and respectful? Stretching beyond the family, how gentle are your interactions with other people around you? How do you respond to other people, particularly people that annoy you or that get under your skin? How do you treat your coworkers? Are you patient with them? 
We've talked about that as being one of the fruits that the Spirit brings. Or are you demanding? Do you treat them with abruptness like your time is more valuable than theirs? Do you treat others with gentleness that you meet in other places where you go? Whether it's servers at restaurants or people around you in driving or in parking lots at Costco or at restaurants or at school or meetings or wherever you go. How do you respond to people around you? You see, great people tend, people of great character tend to be gentle because they treat people with dignity and with respect and the gentleness shows that they value and respect people around them. In the early days of the United States, a story is told of an army corporal who was at Valley Forge and he was directing three of his men as they tried to lift a very heavy log into place. It was too heavy, but the corporal commanded again and again, all right, men, lift. One, two, three, lift. And they couldn't move it. One, two, three, lift. Again and again. And eventually a man in an overcoat came along and said to the corporal, Corporal, why don't you help them? And the corporal pulled himself up to full height and said, Sir, I am a corporal. And without a word, the man stepped over, took off his overcoat, and with his help, the log went easily into place. The man was George Washington. Washington understood that a gentle leader and a gentle person does not command and control from a position of authority. They get down into the mud and they help those around them shoulder the load. A gentleness of spirit, not positional authority, is what commands respect. This is why in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, when the requirements for leadership in God's family, the church, are listed, it's clear that those who are elders in the life of the church must be gentle. Even, again, parenting language, when they're bringing reproof or correction into the lives of those under their spiritual authority. Hebrews chapter 5 says they're to correct those with gentleness. Even people who are walking in ignorance or waywardness with gentleness not only in their demeanor but also in their speech. And again, sometimes in our culture, this is mistaken for weakness. It's seen as being soft. But in reality, it's actually exhibiting a restraint that comes from the fruit of being filled with the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to do the Spirit's work in the lives of those that we interact with. You see, a gentle response is not a natural response for most of us particularly when we are challenged or when we are confronted about something. Because see, when somebody gets angry with us, when someone disagrees with us in some way, we are often tempted to match their tone or intensity level. This happens, you can see it all the time in the comment section about anything online or on Facebook. Somebody comes in real stridently and suddenly the conversation just gets ratcheted up to a whole nother level of intensity. 
And we can feel ourselves getting pulled into that fray, wanting to say, oh yeah, you think that? Well, let me tell you about this. this. You don't know at all. But Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1 says, friend, when you're challenged, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Would your online comments be characterized as gentle? And you might say, oh, Brad, you don't understand. Gentleness isn't practical online. Like, have you heard the crazy things that people say on Facebook? Like, that needs to be challenged. Well, it's not inappropriate in situations to stand your ground, but how you do so requires incredible wisdom. When he was being criticized and attacked on all sides, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 13, he says, when evil things were said about me and about us, he said, I appeal, I definitely appeal, but I appeal gently. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us. He does appeal, meaning he makes his case, but he does so with a gentleness of Spirit, not seeking to pound the person down with his words. See, our words are one of the primary places where gentleness is present or absent. How we say what we say is talked a lot about in the scriptures. Not just how we respond when we're challenged, but also how we actually engage with other people and how we approach challenging others. Let me make an observation about apologetics. Apologetics is the reasoned intellectual defense of the Christian faith. One of my concerns about contemporary apologetics is that it can be done so easily with harsh tone. There's an edginess to defending Christian faith that can very easily seep into conversation if we're not careful. There's a non-gentleness that can characterize a strident defense of a topic. So don't hear what I'm not saying. Defending the faith is important and it's very valuable to have solid, reasonable, reasoned answers for skeptics and for seekers alike. However, I'll give you one guess as to the Bible's primary instruction as to how to go about doing something like apologetics. In one word, it would be gentleness. That's right. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. When you're challenging others, when you're making a case for Christian faith, if someone asks you about the hope you have as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But... Do this in a gentle and in a respectful way. Friends, it saddens me that in our world today, we as Christians have become known as being judgmental, harsh, and bigoted, and all of these other adjectives that would describe the behavior that has characterized so much of Christian interaction with people who don't share our perspectives. Even this morning in the news, we see it in Orlando. 
And there'll be lots of conversations happening all over the news and the media about that. But friends, gentleness is the thing that ought to characterize our interactions with people. Gentle apologetics is so much harder than just going around dropping truth bombs on people all over the internet. But if you don't master gentleness in your responses to people, you may win a few battles, but on the whole, as a Christian movement, I worry that we may lose the war strictly over the lack of possession of a gentle spirit. Friends, let's turn the tide. Let's be known as people who are gentle because gentleness is alluring. It's attractive. Mike and Amy Napa say this, it's true that we live in a harsh world, but it is also true that gentleness invades harshness with its own kind of beauty. We see it in the way that a mother cradles a newborn baby, in the eyes of a father roughhousing with a preschooler, in the silence of a setting sun, in the affectionate caress of a lifetime lover and friend, in the peace that settles during an anxious prayer, and in a thousand ways more. Yes, gentleness is invading our world today. And the only question is whether or not you or I have joined the revolution. In a few minutes, we're going to move to a time of singing and prayer response. But let's look again at our text in Colossians chapter 3 because it actually teaches us how we would go about cultivating gentleness. It's not sufficient just to say, well, I want to be more gentle. You want to put things, practices into your life that would allow gentleness to take root. How would you go about cultivating gentleness in your life. Look with me again at Colossians chapter 3. In verse 13, after we're to clothe ourselves with gentleness, verse 13 says this, make allowance for each other's faults. So practice forgiveness. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember that the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. See, the origins of the gentleness revolution started actually in a very, very violent place the cross of Calvary. On it, Jesus was crucified to take away the sins of the world, and that's why we'll be celebrating communion today, to remember that event. And we remember that instead of calling down 10,000 upon thousands of angels to save him and to do away with evildoers in the world, Jesus sacrificially and gently gave up his life so that you and I could know true life, eternal life with God. And so friends, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus personally, that is that you have never said yes to him. You've never asked Jesus to be the forgiver and the leader of your life. In a few moments, I'm going to pray and lead you through that experience. And I would invite you to say yes to Jesus today. You can experience the greatest gift that has ever been given to anyone, and that is the gift of forgiveness. You can, regardless of your past, be in right standing with God because of the gentleness of Jesus. And this is my deepest hope and prayer for you. Because when you do that, 
you become part of God's family. And one of the characteristics of God's family is right in the next verse, in Colossians 3, verse 14, where it says this, you need to not only forgive, but also pursue peace and harmony. Above all, clothe yourselves with love. Because love binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts because as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. Doesn't mean we agree on everything, but when we disagree, we seek peace and approach one another with a gentle spirit. I can guarantee you that you'll find other people here at Jericho that you can find lots of stuff to disagree with them about. All kinds of theological issues, personal issues, there'll always be something to disagree about. But more than chasing those things down, we are called as people who are gentle with each other to pursue peace and harmony and to operate in love and in gentleness. Philippians chapter 4 says that this characteristic, gentleness, should be so front and center amongst a faith community that gentleness would be, the scripture says, evident to all. Gentleness should be the leading characteristic. When people think about Jericho, they should think, yes, those people are gentle in the best possible way. The third way to cultivate gentleness is to learn to correct without crushing. This is modeled on how God corrects and instructs us as his children. In Colossians 3, verse 16, it says, Let the message of Christ, in all of its richness, fill your lives, teaching and counseling each other with all of the wisdom that he gives. This is a special word for parents. Parents, one of your jobs is to teach and to counsel those that God has put under your charge. And so often, when we see things in the lives of those around us that need fixing or attention, we come in hard to change it. And so many times we can inadvertently misuse the authority that God has given us. But you can teach and counsel and correct without crushing. Fathers, this is something unique for us to pursue and for ask God to help us in as we come next weekend into Father's Day to be strong, but to be strong in a very gentle kind of way. Maybe during prayer time, you want to ask God for help in this area of your life. Lastly, number four, we are called to not only in gentleness and strength cultivate correction without crushing, but also to nurture thanksgiving. Always be thankful, the text says. Sing psalms, sing hymns, sing spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do, whatever you say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, always giving thanks to God through him to God the Father. See, this is why communion doesn't have to be a somber time of reflection. It can also be a celebration. It's a time to say, God, I am so grateful for the things that you have done for me. 
the things you have brought into my life, the things you have rescued me from. And some people are better singers than others. So that's a natural way for them to express that. Other people are better writers than others. And they keep gratitude journals that put me to shame. Other people are better at talking this out in community with a trusted friend. But however you do it, this week, take steps of nurturing thanksgiving. And it's amazing how every time in the New Testament where thanksgiving, gentleness is mentioned, thanksgiving nests right in there with it. And so take time to increase the practice of being thankful and gentleness will be a natural byproduct of that as the Lord brings strength into your life for it. Take every opportunity to express gratitude to God and to others.